Welcome to the Bentonville Beacon, where we bring you success stories from business leaders and owners about their triumphs and growth in the Bentonville and Northwest Arkansas community. You'll hear about how Bentonville has been the backdrop for incredible growth, not only for businesses and their employees, but in their personal lives as well. Tune in, subscribe, and enjoy hearing about Bentonville, where you get more of what you want and less of what you don't. Welcome back to the Bentonville Beacon Podcast, where we're sharing stories and advice from the leaders sparking the rise of Bentonville, one of the fastest growing and most dynamic cities in the United States, nestled in the Ozark Mountains of Northwest Arkansas in the heartland of America. I'm your host, James Bell, and it's my pleasure to share the studio today with Squires and Scott Smith, who are co-founders of Altangle. Squire Smith is president, and uh, Scott Smith is the CEO. Let's, well... First of all, it's a pleasure to have y'all here. Thank Welcome you. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Excited to be here. As mine. Hey, let's get started by getting to know you. Will each of you take a moment to share your stories? That is, let the Bentonville Beacon audience know who are you as individuals? Yeah. Take us off. Sure. So, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, I would say that my story that I want to tell is probably kind of just getting going. Mm-hmm. It as it relates to Altangle, it probably dates back to a pretty young age. I've been pretty obsessed with creating things and writing things since I can remember. Very dyslexic and ADD. So school was uh, was pretty miserable at a younger age. So the bikes and scooters and skateboards and uh, Home Depots and Hobby Lobbies were, were kind of the outlet. And then, yeah, from there, uh, kind of fast forward, I went to LSU for two years. And I'd followed my high school girlfriend there at the time. She was a year older than me. She's now a wife. (laughs) So yeah, now my wife. So it was worth, worth following her there, but I did have, I had some aspirations at the time to go to some different schools. I looked at Arkansas uh, really hard A school called Belmont Mm -hmm. in uh, In Nashville. Nashville. Yep. And then a couple of Colorado schools. And so after a two year run at LSU, which I definitely don't regret at all, had a great time. We sat down and had a conversation. I said, I think I want to go do my thing. And uh, she said, that, that works. I'll support it. I need to focus on physical therapy school. And uh, I went and focused on riding bikes relentlessly for a few years out there in Gunnison. And uh, that's obviously where the, the product came to mind kind of a little earlier than that. We can probably dive okay. in a little bit more later. But yeah, from there, I, I, I graduated, got a full-time job in industrial construction. We had moved to Houston where we've been for the past, well, I guess three plus years before moving here. And uh yeah, that was kind of what paid for some of the early patent development and product development before I left and, and kind of went full swing, which we can probably get into a little later. But that's, that's my background. There's nothing, nothing super scholarly or, um, you know, professional. The professional resume is, is slim, but that's what, that's what kind of got me to where I'm at right now. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So I'll start by saying I am uh, the older brother. But, you know, so Squires talked about, we really grew up outdoors. We were born and raised in Shreveport, Louisiana. And uh, whether it was, you know, biking, camping, hiking, fishing, Sports hunting, and paradise. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, <laughs> we definitely grew up outside and just uh, loving all of it. I am much more of the uh, like type A right brain personality. And uh, you'll see that in my, my finance careers, I'll talk about in a little bit. But so I did, I went to LSU as well, graduated in finance and then moved to Houston my whole professional background prior to starting Altangle was in finance, started in corporate banking, then moved to investment banking and private equity. But uh, as far as I'm really fortunate to grow up 
with a whole family of entrepreneurs, mom and dad, aunts, uncles, cousins, godparents. I mean, really everyone we've, we've been surrounded by, um, really lucky to be surrounded by just out of the box thinkers and problem solvers. And, and so this transition from the corporate world into startup and entrepreneurism has really felt very natural for me and, oh, cool. and kind of something that was always a goal. Excellent. Well, you know, as brothers, who would know you better than each other? Scott, will you start off by telling us something about Squires that perhaps he didn't tell us? Brag about each other a little bit. What's something yeah. he should have told us that that he hasn't? So, yeah, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, his actual degree is in psychology. And so he's not a professionally trained engineer. He taught himself to draw in CAD and to design our products. And I, I think that not only is really impressive and really cool, but you see it in our products because it's coming directly from a user solving his own needs and he is designing the product that works for him. It's not over-engineered. It's not overthought. It's, it's exactly what he needs. Wonderful. Uh, many great startups start exactly right there. Uh, Squire, same question about Scott. What's yeah. something he should have told us? Well, I don't know if you like prepared that question, but you should have told me that because that was killer. So thanks for the compliment yeah. there. Um, <laughs> CAD is not that hard to learn uh, either. You have to be able to, if you think that way, it works. I think a lot of engineers would tell you that too. Sure. Like, um, but I massively appreciate the compliment. Um, it was it was fun. For you, the, I think that, that he would, you would probably, you, we talk about your type A-ness and, and how structured you are well-spoken and don't go on the kind of tangents that I do for sure. But I think that his rigidness and ability to hone in on specific goals and then not deviate from that. Hmm. Whereas I'm like all over the board, which is a good thing. I think it makes, makes for a nice combination. Um, it's one of the reasons we make really good partners, I think, but it's, it's like a, a fierce focus on that. And we actually, this is probably something he wouldn't have said, but when we first launched, we, of course it was in the midst literally at the peak of the pandemic, the supply chain's falling mm -hmm. apart. I'd already struggled to find manufacturing in the first place. So we had quite a bit going on. And then he gets COVID and like, it just kind of seemed like it wouldn't go away. So oh, wow. it, it was what is commonly referred to now as long haul COVID. And so it lasted a really long time. And it was during the heat of it, like of, of trying to get this product out there, trying to get the proof of concept down, get some customers behind us. And yeah, there's, there's a, tenacity there that I, I hadn't seen that he probably wouldn't brag about. So this is a good, I think this is a good platform for me to be able to, to call that out. Cause that was, that was, uh, startups have their own tough time. And then you put that on top of it and you know, it's, it's you a bet. Bad thing, so. I, I got to tell you, that says a lot about your tenacity because I've, uh, I've known several startup founders who, uh, unfortunately had COVID and in particular long COVID too passed away. Yeah, but the ones who have suffered from long COVID, man, that's some of them. They can't put together thoughts for an hour at a time a day, and so yeah. to be able to work through that yep. is uh, a good job. It was yeah. yeah, it was tough. I'm really fortunate that uh, I had my brother and and the rest of my family support me through it. So. Yeah, yep. yeah, and that's the key too, uh, having folks to support you and and understand what it is you're going through to the extent that they can. Right. Okay, so we have the Smith brothers. Yeah, the biker and the banker. Yeah. Look to Charles LinkedIn. You know, we're in this, you know, it doesn't look like you have the same starting dates with Altangle. So I'm really curious, you know, Squires at, you got Scott to abandon banking and join you on a bike. So uh, at what, what led to that moment? And 
I, I think we've heard why you started Alt Angle, but if you want to give a little more yeah. uh, color to that, that's great too. So we very much started Alt Angle together. Um, okay. It probably dates back further because I, when I was working industrial construction, they wanted, basically I was going to have to move to Alabama to keep working that job. I was not exactly sure how I was going to proceed with the hangar. I had some early options we were looking at it, like a licensing deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the way the, the way the hangar came about was pretty organic. Like I was racing and, you know, we, I built this product and me and my teammates were using it and, and that was kind of that. And then I went from there and we had a great friend at a machine shop in Shreveport that helped me very much legitimize it. That's where I started picking up CAD and learning design. Mm-hmm. And it kind of went from there to a point where it was like, all right, I've got this product now. What am I doing with it? So it wasn't like, Hey, I want to, I want to make a product. Um, and form a company around it. It sort of came into that self. So the short version, actually, I guess I'm giving the long version, but I jumped ship a little quicker than anticipated from that, from that job because okay. I didn't want to move to Alabama and my ADD is kicking. So can you remind me of the initial question so that I make sure yeah, that I yeah, answer Yeah, sure. It? Why not? <laughs> yeah. I was asking, uh, you know, about Scott abandoning the world of yeah, of a banking and Perfect. what led the mom back to start our Thank you. Yeah. So no at that point, I was I was exploring manufacturing. I was getting the product dialed in for what I thought would be ready for market. You know, basically MVP and getting and getting that patent dialed. And so that was that was where I was at. I left the job. I continued to hone that in, and, and that's when those conversations started. So that was 2020 during the pandemic. Yeah, um, and yeah, and I'd say it was, I mean about that time that. I had always been kind of helping, was obviously aware and doing what I could. It was around that, that he started coming to me and saying, hey, we've got this really cool product. I mean, we know it serves a purpose. We can make it. We can make it for a cost that works. What do we do with it? And that's when I really started helping and we started putting together a business plan. And the more we looked at the market and the space around the first product, the hanger, uh, we started feeling like the opportunity was bigger than just the single product. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was this gap in the market that we felt like could really benefit from both the product and then a company coming in and really applying like just some modern business trends. And, um, and so that's when we kind of started to think, hey, we, we really might want to stand a company up around this first product and kind of continue this and see where this takes us. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, well, let's talk about Altangle then. What is the company's mission and sort of its goals? And then the other two parts of the question, I guess, are what problems did you set out to solve first? That sounds like it led to the hangar. So talk about your products as well. Yeah. So I'll, I'll kind of kick that off and you can get in the products. Yeah. So simply put, our mission is to make high quality, innovative products that help solve common obstacles associated with owning and maintaining a bicycle. So we ultimately want to have a full product line that at its core just helps people enjoy cycling and, and all things cycling related to their fullest extent. Yeah. Yeah. As far as the product side goes, I think for me, there was kind of two sides of it. There's like very much the actual need, or as I often say, like the necessity portion, which what I saw was missing was a compact bike stand. And there's, there's numerous benefits to that travel being a mm-hmm. big one. And then just your living space, right? Like if, if you don't have the perfect garage mechanic set up, then the tripod stand is is a pretty large uh, space consuming thing to own. And so that's that's the really basic side of it. And and that that had a place that there was a hole in the market there. And and that's shown. And then there's kind of for me, there's a side of it that's what all of our products are, are geared towards, which is 
the more mainstream side of maintenance. Like cycling is getting bigger and bigger. Obviously, we saw a ton of growth over the pandemic, but it was already already headed yeah. in that direction. So more people have nice bikes, more people are considering it a primary hobby. And so, you know, your interest when you get into a hobby, it's kind of like if you've ever met a fly fisherman, right? They they start fly fishing, they get so obsessed with it, but they can't fly fish all the time. So they start tying flies or mm-hmm. you know, some at some point you take that hobby to the next level. And so in my opinion, that's that's maintenance or tinkering or whatever it may be. You finish your ride and you're with your buddies or you're not, and and you've got some time to to play with your bike. You know, maybe you're having a beer and and shipped into the gears or yeah. or just lubing the chain, some of these simple things. But you're all in on your hobby, you're all in on your sport, and you you don't have to be a full-on mechanic swapping your bottom bracket to have some way to conveniently maintain your bike. And so that's that's kind of the bigger picture is at the end of the day, if you've got a bike pump and a multi-tool, we think you should have a hanger, either cool. a connector or our original doorway one. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I have to ask also, you know, you so you learned CAD. You were fortunate enough to have a, a friend who had a machine shop. Boy, that's that's a real starting point in my experience. It's it's hard to have either of those starting off when you don't have an engineering background. Yeah, um, you have some beautiful products I looked at on your your page and that I saw at the uh, plug and play outdoor yeah uh, summit. Will you take us sort of from idea to reality and talk about the the iterative process of creating the hanger and what that was like and what challenges ran into and. You can even go further and talk about manufacturing then. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Tell um, the tell the story of the race. Start there and kind of run it all the way because it. Um, I think that's worth sharing. Yeah, yeah. We were talking about this the other day actually, and and uh, we were kind of joking around like, man, we probably should like market that a little more because there actually was sort of an aha moment on on the idea itself, and it was it's pretty simple. Like since the time I was at LSU and I was riding, living with roommates, you know, it's like every every cyclist has done this. We were, I was hanging the bike up on shower curtains or mm-hmm. bookshelves or whatever you could suspend it on to work through. And like I was ripping things down and putting holes in walls, whatever. And so I was like, there's got to be like something, some other option besides a really a big bike stand. I was even working in a shop at that time. And so that's kind of when the initial thought came to mind. And, and I didn't know if there was a, a big need for it or not. And so if you fast forward to my time at Western, the defining moment that he's talking about, although I'd kind of thought of this concept of a of a smaller way to work on your bike more efficiently is we all piled into a car, made the decision not to bring a bike stand and had just gotten to the race. Most, almost always you don't touch your bike before a race, but I needed to, cause we had to break ours down to go in the car. Mm-hmm. And basically my buddy's holding it up for me and he's like, come on, man, hurry up. Like my arms are getting tired. And so I basically, I, I, I did something quicker than I should have. And I get to the start line oh, no. and <laughs> it's like five minutes in, I'd forgot I didn't put a cable end on the housing and I just, when I shifted, it sucked my, my cable straight into the frame of the bike. And, and it was basically my race was over. We lost all tension and, and I couldn't shift. And so I was so frustrated with it. I was like, this is ridiculous. Like we've got to have an efficient way to get this done. And so went back and, and uh, a couple of years later in some PVC pipe and we had the first iteration of the hanger. Awesome. So that would be the story he's talking about. I can kind of, I think I can give a, a faster version of where it went from, from PVC, but, what you're talking about in regard to understanding the manufacturing side of things and then the design side of things, you're right, it is vastly different. And luckily, I wasn't on like a huge time constraint because I didn't know what I was doing with the product. So I was really developing this product. I don't really know at the time, I'm not sure why I was doing it. You know, I just wanted to. It's the same reason I've always created things and, and why a lot of makers do that, you know? And so for a year, I was just tinkering and learning and and figuring out what 
processes worked best and and how to how honestly a the CNC machine even worked. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, started to figure out the importance of tolerance and how how badly that can mess up your product if it's wrong. And so that was a bunch of trial and error. And fortunately, I had that friend that was willing to <laughs> willing to walk me through that trial and error. And yeah, I mean, at some point, I think the the machine shop that I was working with dealt very heavily with like oil field parts. And so their engineer, who was I was, you know, giving him all the dimensions and things that I wanted, and he was he was designing the early parts for me or side by side. Sure. And so those were functional, but they were not very aesthetically pleasing. And so as I wanted things tweaked or I wanted things, whatever, the way that I wanted them designed, I couldn't continue asking this engineer that wasn't, I wasn't paying to do this stuff, right? And so that's what I said, okay, you're gonna have to teach me some of this CAD work and get me started. And then once you get started, it's, it's a pretty fluid learning process. It's just about spending time on it. And so from there, I was, yeah, I was just tweaking it to, to the specs that I wanted it to be. And it was like um, a year and a half of us yeah. going and riding and we'd come home and put it up and use it and be like, you know what? This doesn't work quite like you do. And nice. back to the labs, make a new one, yeah. tweak, you do whatever. Yeah, we kind of, I was listening to one of your podcasts not long ago and you mentioned the MVP mm-hmm. thing. And it's so true. Like, I think any inventor, business owner, entrepreneur would agree and tell you that whatever they did, they could have done earlier. They could have started earlier. Right. I absolutely should have rolled everything out sooner. But we didn't really know what our goal was with it. So we did kind of have the luxury of, I mean, certainly I still rolled it out thinking, oh my gosh, these things I want to change about this. So it was still MVP to me, but we did have the luxury of having like a year of kind of getting to make it. If you look at my first video, you'll see the first very raw version. And we had a lot of time to- Being uh, our own customers, our own users. Yeah, yeah. make it better than that. But yeah, other than that, if you if you fast forward to making the first batch, uh, so we got, we- when we launched, we had all we had everything lined up in Taiwan to manufacture, and that was when the pandemic went full swing. And so um, that totally shut us down, uh, unfortunately. And we really we couldn't get any material; we couldn't get raw material to make it. And so we had both already quit our jobs, <laughs> so we had to do it. <laughs> Good time, yeah. Yeah. time to do yeah. it. Kind we of, were in. <laughs> kind of time to go. And so we decided to make the first batch in the U.S., which uh, was not very cost effective, but it did get the product out there. That had a silver lining. It most of that process was not fantastic. Contract manufacturing in the U.S. is really difficult, as we kind of discussed before this. Mm-hmm. Um, in house is different, but yeah, it's it's not quite set up the same as as um, overseas. You know, it's not as, not as turnkey. And so, yeah, we made we made the first small batch here in the U.S. Uh, right outside of Houston, and uh, that was really where I learned the most about manufacturing because. We had some parts, early parts, come off the machine way out of whack. And it basically ended up requiring... I mean, I pretty much lived at this machine shop for like a month because I just needed to be there playing QC. Otherwise, everything would come off a little different than I was hoping it would. Mm-hmm. But that is where I learned, like, okay, this could make a huge difference if we cut out this part of the machine or if we change this part so that we're not having to flip it over three times. You know, things that you're not going to think about if you don't truly understand the entire process. And so that really changed how we were able to instruct our Taiwan manufacturer on the different processes we wanted to use to get this made. And that was pretty crucial considering we couldn't even go to Taiwan at the time due to the pandemic. Yeah. So to have, to have seen where the little hiccups can come into play 
and all these little small details that matter and be able to take note of that and be able to to relay that to our Taiwan manufacturer, I think is, I know, is what has, has given us such a high success rate in regard to the quality of our products today. Yeah, agree. So that's cool. Yeah, I mean, in some ways it was almost beneficial then that you had sure. to manufacture yeah. in the U.S. and having had to uh, build some things myself or have uh, third-party manufacturers build them found the same thing. Like the, the ability to reach out and touch that manufacturer yep. at the earliest stage is a big deal. Uh, I'll add that, you know, everything that you do in a startup does not have to be scalable at the beginning. Right. You just have to be able to convert to scalable. Couldn't agree more. And so yep. that cost of manufacturing in the U.S. is not necessarily a bad thing at the, the earliest stage. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going to cost even, you that's some right. time. That's not even. Yeah. That's exactly how we looked at it. It's and, like, OK. Yeah. I think we started thinking like every and I think a lot of founders probably do this. But like if yeah. we do something a day, it has to be able to grow. And, and right. You very quickly realize that, well, that's just not realistic right now. Not yep. at all. And uh, so we just evolved in the nature we had to evolve. And um, I mean, he was literally running machines in some scenarios. And yeah, we got three days before our three days before our pre-order products were supposed to ship, which was, were not that many. So it wouldn't have been that crucial how we had to postpone. But we had like, I don't know, like 300 tubes come off out of yeah. tolerance. And I'm like, we have to redo these. And uh, he's like, well, I already, you know, I already discontinued the night shift. That's who was doing them. I was like, well, we got three days to redo them before, you know, we got to send these out to the whopping 25 pre-orders or 50 pre-orders or whatever we had. And so, yeah, I ended up like being the owner of the machine shop, um, pretty much just worked all night for three days. (laughs) And the, but the, you know, like what you learned from all that a month later, when we're talking to Taiwan, the way he's able to communicate and talk very specifically about yeah. these machines. So we didn't really know how it was scalable when we were going through it, but it turns out it actually was because now we're able to take this, like talk, uh, talk this lingo that we did not know. He did not you yep. know a month prior. And um, yeah, it resulted, I mean, on our first batch, we had like a, a less than 1% error rate or something. It's like yeah. a oh, quarter, quarter of a percent. Yeah. Less, so. yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, in some ways you went through the process. I don't know what the technical name of it's called, but I call it optimization for manufacturing. Uh, you yeah, were, DFM. You were, DFM yeah. There we go. Yeah. Perfect. And then got to learn the language, uh, yeah. which is, yeah, that's great. And I wish I would have had the benefit of that part. The crash course. <laughs> yeah. um, absolutely. Well, these represent challenges. Uh, what are you most proud of that you've accomplished to date with Altangle? Yeah. Great question. Proud of a lot right now. Yeah. Um, we've got some really exciting stuff happening right now. And, but I guess in some ways also that's, I feel like this first time I've picked my head up in, in the past year where, it's, yeah. where I've been able to look past on, look back on the last year. And so I would focus on what I, I guess the prior accomplishments. And I, I think honestly, just getting a product to market during the pandemic was like, uh, that's probably, yeah, I'm incredibly proud of that. Yeah. We, we, there was some, I mean, we, yeah, we had a time, there were so many hurdle, little hurdles to jump over and so many people did it too. It's not like, I'm not trying to make us, ourselves sound special, but for me, that's what I was proud of, you know? And like, we went back to him. I think I was probably like borderline in tears because we had already made the first batch in the US and now he's like, it's going to be another six months or whatever. I'm like, what? And it was raw material. And so I'm like, are you telling me there's nothing? He's like, there's nothing. He's kind of getting frustrated with me. He's like, look, you're, y'all are great and all, but you, you don't make half as much as my other customers, you know, it's kind of what he's politely trying to tell me uh-huh. I'm saying, but come on, there's gotta be a way. There's gotta be a way. It's like, there's not, you can't get material. So is there not like a home depot for metal? 
And uh, he's like, Paul's his first second. We're on FaceTime. He's like, well, you mean Metal Mart? I was like, yeah, is there a Metal Mart? He's like, yeah, there's a Metal Mart. And I said, okay, go to the Metal Mart and buy all the aluminum we can buy and we'll make them that way. And, and, and he like looks at me like I'm crazy. And he, he said, okay, I'll look into it. And he calls me back three days later and he says, this is how much the aluminum costs. You know, it's probably three times the amount that raw material would have been had we ordered it the proper way. But um, again, it got us our next batch. Yeah. And uh, we got we there. Got there. <laughs> There's <laughs> nothing more painful than waiting six months. I yeah, actually had one time uh, with a uh, one of my startups, we had a item that came from China. Actually, it was the casters, the the wheels on the bottom of the product that took months to get to us yeah. and be shipped because they're very heavy. And then they arrived, and we, the company, <laughs> had ordered the wrong ones. Oh um, no! And now we had a customer waiting yeah, it was yeah. a cleveland clinic <laughs> waiting oh. for us to deliver a product yeah. to them and uh, we ended up overnighting casters from china yeah jeez we didn't make a darn thing off that <laughs> yeah yep, we did we air freighted our first batch well you know i think on that note but, like that what i would add to that answer like one of the things i'm most proud of is that this company our goal that was always to be a a end user focused company. I mean, it was about yeah. our customers experience and making sure that they got a high quality product and a, and a product they enjoyed and that we as founders remain close to them. And I think not the biggest probably gap before all this was marketing for us. Neither of us had a background in it. And so we didn't know how to build a company that could grow and reach a lot of people directly with while remaining close to them. And um, I think we're we've done a pretty good job of that so far. Yeah. I feel like, and, and yeah, we're yeah on I think a good track for that. the, uh, just like the feedback has been really positive and it's, it's been really fun and something we're really proud of that. We we've stayed that close to the, to the end user. Yep. Cool. Glad to hear that. Well, you've had some big news lately. A few months ago, you re- relocated to Bentonville. Yeah. yeah. So welcome home. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Um, well, will you talk about that? Start with, uh, I've got three questions I wrote down here. Start with, well, you talked about where you moved here from, so we have two questions. Talk about how you discovered Bentonville and your experiences here, and then how that led you to decide that Alt Angle had to be part of the Bentonville family. Yeah, all right, that's that's pretty easy awesome. one. Yeah, I'll start with just how how we how we got here. I'll let you give a more clear, concise answer on yeah. some of the specifics. But basically, I mean, I I knew what was going on here to some degree. Okay. I hadn't visited though, which as you've probably heard a lot of times, it makes all the difference when you actually see it, when you put eyes on it. But I'd heard about it. I'd mentioned it to my wife, Kat, because we, Houston was never the end goal for us. We were looking at Colorado, checking out Oregon, California, Um, but Colorado more seriously. The obvious places. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, but I mean, I said, you know, Arkansas is really coming up. And there was a time where she's like, I'll never move to Arkansas. It's like, Okay. So I kind of like, was like, all right, well, I guess that's not that serious. And uh, her sister just moved to Denver. So I was like, all right, this, I guess that's not a thing. And so we were in California and uh, Gary Vernon rolls up to our tent and hands me a beanie. This is an awesome product. So, Thanks. And uh, introduces himself. And like, I mean, it's like probably three sentences in. So how do we get you to Bentonville? I'm like, uh, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I didn't really know Never that. that question. I didn't really know my that, like, yeah. Yeah, that like cities recruited people. You know, I didn't know that was a thing. And uh, so he gives me a little download on what's happening. And I said, yeah, no, I've, it's been on our radar. It's, it's a cool spot. I do need to come see it. So I came up uh, for rule three. I was okay. going to expo there. And then it ended up 
being really rainy and I decided to race it instead, which was really fun. And I was supposed to be there for like two days. And yet again, Gary showed me around. We went on a little gravel ride and uh, I ended up staying for nine days because I, I said, this is awesome. And I got to figure out what else this place is about. Went around town, kind of interviewing random people, figuring out if it was real. It's right. like this incredible <laughs> little bubble of bikes and entrepreneurs and, and uh, this, yeah, like almost like a startup city is, is in some literally like walking around, like asking people like, Hey, how do you like it here? You know? Right. And I had my, my wife come up that weekend and, uh, she checks out. She's like, okay, I'll move to Arkansas. Yeah. So once we got to sign off on the, uh, on the home front, I think we started looking at, again, just like being close to the end user, being close to the customer. And, um, not only was Bentonville this mecca and hub of cycling, but business in general. So we saw this opportunity just to be constantly surrounded with industry events, with business events, and and just living that lifestyle like a day in and day out. And just it made so much economic sense, so much business. I mean, just yep. from every angle, like this is just an easy fit. Yeah. And it, you can see it too, like everything happening here, like I saw it the, literally the first week I was here, is so incredibly intentional, you know? And so when you see a city that's growing really quickly and then the intention behind that growth, it inspires a lot of confidence. I mean, you're coming into something where you can see the end goal and mm-hmm. then there's also opportunity right now to be a part of the end goal. Yeah. So that in and of itself, I think is really exciting for us is, you know, we're this, our goal is, is to be a omnichannel company, but with a really large e-commerce presence. Yeah. Right. I guess the best yeah. way to put it. And so we want the home base and then there's, there's ample other opportunities here on an entrepreneurial level to um, get involved, you know, so. Yeah, it is such a neat time to be here because not only can you do your amazing thing, you can be part of this much bigger story. Right. Yep. And uh, like you said, it becomes very evident what's happening here when you get your feet on the ground. Yep. You couldn't do any better than to encounter gary vernon yeah right yeah, yeah. he's the right guy who, for sure who uh, by the way has been on this show so I encourage nice. the listeners go uh, back and check out that awesome episode yep, we yep. talked oz trails and the whole nine yards so you haven't been here that long but you were tapping into our resources and and uh, entrepreneur support organizations and the industry before you got here can you tell me about that and you know were you surprised that you had this opportunity to really connect and tap into these opportunities even before you got here, the way people enraged you, perhaps. Yeah, I was surprised. (laughs) I think we were both, I mean, I was telling Scotty when I got back, I said, I mean, they've, I've got three contacts we can reach out to about, about moving here, you know? And so he's like, okay, yeah, let's reach out. And I think what's surprising, it's not surprising to come across one great consulting group or Mm -hmm. one great state group or one great private organization. What's surprising is that they're all working together in coordination on the same agenda. And every one of them is as excited to connect you to the next one as as the last one was. I mean, they just want to keep it going all the time. And so every conversation, whether it has a direct benefit or not, is leading to something new and exciting. And it's just a matter of time until one of those is the right fit. And so not only did that work in recruiting, you get here, now you want to be a part of that, right? I mean, it's a culture, it's a mindset, and you want to, you want to pay that forward. And I think that's, that's what's so surprising. And, and intentionality is a good word for it. But yeah, the coordinated effort is, uh, I mean, I've never seen anything like it. I, I don't know. Maybe it exists somewhere, but yeah, I'm totally unaware of it. Very cool. You know, that's, that brings up a, it was just, as you said that, it made me think about 
One of the things that we encourage founders to do over and over again is just keep talking to people, keep talking to people. It's going to open the doors for you, but it's like banging your head against the wall, right? You talk to so, so many people as a founder and the vast majority of those conversations and other places seems to lead to nowhere, but you're right here. It's you talk to one person and here's three more and they give you three more and it just keeps happening. Um, there's a lot of there's, there's a lot of high value organizations and, and people here yeah. in terms of yeah. folks who are helping. Yeah, yeah. and um, I think as a founder, you just you kind of have to be up for that ride. Yeah, it's just sort of the nature of of the game. Um, it does help that in this environment, you know, your time between finding the one mm-hmm. that's really helpful is a little shorter. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, if, uh, you you have to go fast as a founder, yeah. and if you want to go lightning fast, come on. Yeah, you know. I, just looking at my notes here a second. You know, I know of y'all from others. Gary, I think, was one of the first people to actually mention Alt Ankle to me. Um, so knew about you from others in the ecosystem and then finally first met you at the uh, Plug and Play Outdoor Summit yep. in, uh, I guess it was in the fall. Yeah. And, you know, other than perhaps trade shows, have you encountered other, especially in the outdoor rec space, have you encountered other outdoor rec sort of industry events that were super focused on the entrepreneurs like that one? Not quite like that. I think we've been fortunate to, and actually it's funny. So that event was the day after we moved here. So (laughs) we were were laughing about, and that's kind of like what I want, my point here is. So I think that was a really cool, unique event. We have been fortunate to get invited to some other things that you know, there was a founder or two featured or whatever, and, and those are all great. But I think what's like the most interesting is that was an event in Bentonville. Mm-hmm. It was a great event and we were really excited to be a part of it. But I mean, we've done like two or three more since getting here. There are a lot yeah. of cities or organizations that would be proud, as they well should be, to put on one of those a year. And that was like that month. <laughs> Right. I mean, they're, those are just happening all the time. And that's what's like so incredible is that that's just it's one of a, a great series and, and multiple events that are happening. So, yeah, I think it's very surprising to people. Yes. When yeah. when they discover that here, you've experienced our trails, overall community, the entrepreneurial ecosystem, you know, as folks who have made the move and taken the risk of moving your company here. Uh, and you name some of them, but could you talk more broadly about the benefits you see? of having a company like yours in this ecosystem? Sure. Yeah, I think you can you can go there on, on a few different levels, right? I, yeah. I'm going to go to the most obvious one, which is when I said earlier that I feel like I just kind of picked my head up after, like, for the first time in at least a year, probably a little more than that, um, or kind of just came up for air. What I mean is, is, is finding balance between... Yeah you know, startup and anybody really can relate to this. It doesn't matter what your job is, if it's a startup or not, it may feel a little intensified at the moment, but um, just, it's really easy to bury yourself in your work. And, um, and Bentonville has a really good way of keeping you focused, but balanced. Um, And I think that carries over into a lot of different uh, environments and industries here. I mean, almost everyone's taking a lunch break and maybe going Uh out for a quick ride. Or if it's a beautiful day, you notice that a lot of people are headed out around three and they're probably getting to work earlier the next day and grinding just like everybody else is. Um, but there's a beautiful balance there and it's been great for our lifestyle. My wife and I have been trail running more together, so I'm not just riding bikes these days, although still 
but um, trying to switch it up. So yeah, the the work life balance is huge. Um, the network is huge, and so I think between those two, the other thing I guess would be when you're getting here. So I see a huge benefit to getting here now. Like I said, I think there's a lot of opportunity mm-hmm. to be here early. Um, and then what it's developing into is to me, it's kind of this wall street of, of the outdoor world and, um, a lot of other cool things coming together. I think probably we'll see more tech startups and whatnot in the future. Yeah. Um, and I mean, yeah, if you can, if you can be in that environment in such a condensed area with this much enthusiasm, there's some serious benefits there. I think, yeah, I want to add to that because I, I love that answer. And the part that like, jumps out to me is we talk about the exposure and, and everything, but the what he mentioned about the work-life balance and, and it being normal to get on the trail. I mean, Squars and I are people that have, for our entire lives, done some of our best thinking outside of a conventional workspace, not in front of a desk. And it's really nice to be in an environment where that is more the norm than like, oh, look at those guys. That's kind of weird, right? Um, and so I really appreciate, because I, I, I truly do believe that that's where like some of your hardest problems get solved is when you take a step back and, and go do something fun and free your, your mind up to think about that kind of thing. And um, it's why you're seeing some of these great ideas come to fruition here. Yeah, yeah, I love uh, just sometimes just walking out and taking a walk, right? right. Yep. The Razorback Greenway runs right behind our yeah. office. If I wanted to, if I rode my bike more often than I should, I could just hop on it and get over to yeah. downtown a few hundred feet away and yeah. hop on All-American, maybe get a little ride in at lunch yeah. and yep. get back and uh, start my next thing or or go have a meeting on a trail. Right. For sure. That's yeah. a real thing here. It is indeed. I mean, Absolutely. About them. Yeah. There you go. The Squires, I have to ask, you went to school at Western Colorado, Western Colorado University, kind of some beautiful place. Yeah. You mentioned Colorado and Oregon and California as places that you looked at also. Why not there? Why, why is it just that encounter with Gary that got you here <laughs> or, is, or is there more? Why, why not there versus a place like this? Yeah. Uh, I think there's a number of reasons for me. And in general, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily rule it out. I love Colorado. Always will love Colorado. It's sure gorgeous. But yeah, I mean, f- for, for the purpose of this conversation and the fact that I see ourselves here for probably good, um, that decision came down to the fact that like, there's kind of, it's, I would say it's two part. It's personal and it's, there's the business side. And one is that it's going to be pretty hard to stand out there. Um, you know, like when you first asked us to be on the podcast, my thought was, that's cool. Like, that's early, you know, I mean, we're, we're, we're still getting this, this story is just starting for us. Like we're, in my opinion, you know, mm-hmm. we're just kicking things off, but that's why we have the opportunity to do this. And it's cool. It's still, it's still valuable to get this conversation to share it with others. Um, and so you're not, you're not really going to be seen in Colorado either. And so there'd be a great lifestyle reason for going there, but not a whole lot of, there's not a, there wasn't gonna be a lot of advantage of going there as a startup. I think it's a difference in, like you said this to me, it's a difference in being a part of the story and getting to help write the story. Yeah. I thought that was well explained. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. I'm writing that down. <laughs> uh, I, I, I might use that, the discussion with a few folks. Yeah. Uh, feel free. Perhaps very soon. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> That's very good. You know, you were coming to Bentonville before you moved here. Um, now that you're here, have you had the opportunity to really get outside of Bentonville, check out some of the, the Ozark Mountains and uh, other areas of our region? I'm working on it. I yeah. I have, but not as much as I would like to. We've been pretty dang busy since we've gotten here. 
not to mention what's in the backyard is so incredible. We we've barely gotten to to enjoy that. So yeah, I mean it's only a couple of months, right? So yeah. that's yeah. the thing is the I mean the amount of trails that are here in a area, <laughs> like I end up riding the same ones a lot too because they're great. So yeah. like I mean I I need to be very intentional about checking some boxes. Like I've probably only ridden ten percent of trails just in the slaughter pen network, you know. Um, but yeah, I have gotten out. I mean, I went and I did a huge ride or it was, I spent more time in my office chair lately. So it was huge for me, but it was the high in the Ozarks route and it, it was gorgeous. I mean, it, and it was amazing. That's 30 minutes from here. Yeah. And it does you, you're in the mountains. I used to laugh a little bit when, uh, my friends in Arkansas would call it mountains. It, it is mountains. So yeah, I can they're, test they're that now. Yeah, they're legit. And I think this this coming spring and summer, it'll be a, a big focus for us to explore a little bit more. Yeah. So we're excited about that. That's cool. You know, the state of Arkansas has a passport for state parks. There's 52 state parks in the state. I was just thinking maybe here in Northwest Arkansas, we should have a trails passport. Yeah. And yep. you can validate yep, it with cool. Strava or something, right? Yeah. That would be so cool. Yeah. I like that idea. Yeah. You know, before we start winding this down, uh, tell me a story. And you can... I can have one story or tell me two. And this is what I like to call a hashtag because Bentonville story. It is, you know, maybe a moment or a full-blown story that could only happen here or describes the essence of this place. All right. I've got actually the perfect one because it came to mind earlier when we were talking about moving here. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it happened, I guess it technically happened before I got here. But so in Houston, the housing market is very competitive. Mm-hmm. It's becoming competitive here, especially just right around the square. There's very ample opportunity right outside the square as well. But um, where we visited was right around the square. And so we said that for the first year, that's where we want to be because we know we love that and we haven't explored anywhere else because we moved here after visiting once. Um, but so this house comes up and uh, this is like a month after we visited. We decided to apply immediately because, um, yeah, we saw the competition in the space. And uh, I get on a call with the owner of it. and what I'm used to is like being interrogated uh-huh. and you know, they want the background check and the financials, which is all reasonable when you're renting out your home. And this guy's like, so what do you, what are you looking to move to Benville for? Well, you know, lifestyle, I've got a company in the cycling industry. He's like, Oh sweet. I ride, you know? And so we started just like shooting the breeze on mountain bikes and trails. And like, we didn't even really talk about the house, my uh, job, wife's job, things that would, you know, maybe let us pay for the house. Sure. <laughs> the things that, we're just, we're just talking about lifestyle. And he's suddenly like, man, I mean, there are so many uh, entrepreneurial opportunities here. And I think if, if you're considering Mintonville, this is, the house was three months from being available. He's like, I mean, I just don't look any further. You just need to, you just need to do it. You'll, you'll, you won't regret it. So, I mean, it was supposed to be almost like a kind of an interview uh-huh. on whether I could be in the house and he's selling me on it and said, so his name's Mark uh, Kinsley and a uh, great guy. We just got lunch with him um, yesterday and uh, I'm like, okay, Mark, um, that's awesome. So, I mean, the house is at a, he's like, oh yeah, no, house is yours. Seemed like a totally normal guy. We'd love to have you. House is yours if you want it. I'll, I'll just go ahead and hold it, you know, talk to your wife. Let me know what works. I'm like, that is incredibly casual. <laughs> like, sounds good. Yeah, so it just sold me on the whole atmosphere of this place. Like that's wild. That's the culture of this place. Yeah. It's it's really what you get. And it's because it's in our DNA, but it's the way this place has been built so intentionally to sort of just allow for you to live a lifestyle that allows for 
that sort of comfort comfortableness. Yep. I guess if that makes sense. Um, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Let's take a short side trail for a moment. Got a few questions for you, uh, Scott. How has your background as a banker mm-hmm. helped you with the startup? Yeah, I mean, I could talk about this a lot. I, I think there are two big ways that come to mind. First, I mean, for a young company, understanding the capital stack and then cash flow is just—it's so critical. Um, and and so you know, all the years in finance really gave me a good perspective on that. And um, having been in kind of multiple different layers of the capital stack, I, I feel like I have a good perspective on that. I'd say the, the second thing is, uh, and this is probably comes in handy more on a day-to-day basis, being in finance, uh, you know, you're talking to different customers in different industries, dealing with different problems. You have to get really good at educating yourself quickly on a, a situation or a different uh, market or whatever it is. And so, like while the problems that Squares and I are addressing now are different than the problems we were working on, then you developed this framework for addressing issues and working through things and getting educated very quickly. Um, and you're just, you're fairly used to operating in an environment of being a little bit uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really that's kind of how I love to work now. Like always a little bit uncomfortable, always pushing yourself a little bit, always learning that next thing. Um, and yeah, so I feel like just my day-to-day kind of life as an entrepreneur, like you could never describe a normal week, right? I mean, it's, it's always something new and different. And, uh, I, not, I don't think you can totally prepare for that until you're doing it, but, um, just working in the financial industry, I think put me in a decent position to do that. So. Very cool. I love the whole concept of being uncomfortable. Yeah. In fact, every time I find myself comfortable, that's when I get uncomfortable, right? I'm uncomfortable that I'm not uncomfortable yeah. because that's a sign of not growing. Yeah. In my opinion, can relate to that. Um, Squires, I feel like, you know, the question I wrote down, I, I've, you've already talked about a good bit, but, you know, looking at it through the lens of the, the, the inventor and then bringing on, uh, you know, Scott, I guess, really back into the team full time. Yeah. Um, how did, you know, how is that as an inventor saying, here's my baby, but I, I want your business leadership here to help me out. How does that help you? Yeah, it's it's helpful in a lot of ways. Um, I think I look at it, we both probably look at it much more as a, as a partnership. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, there's not a lot of inventors out there. Well, there's not a a lot of inventor and founders out there that have the luxury of just being an inventor. Um, and as much as I like creating things and working on things, that's, that's not, uh, my only skill set or, or what I enjoy. And so, you know, it's also, you have, you need a vision for that product, right? I mean, thinking of a product, one of ours is very simple. It's two clamps, you know, yeah. and it's, it's how you use those two clamps that, that matters. And then the vision you have for that and, and then how you portray that vision to others and how you reach those people, um, pick a group and, and get them sold on it. Get everybody waving their hands in the air. Right. And yep. then the next guy will. Um, and so what I think I'm going to go with this question where I think is, is how you meant it. Um, in regard to like our differences kind of, but where we really complement each other is, is that we have such different, um, ways of operating and thinking. I mean, I am off the walls, ADHD all over the place, calling him at 2am. Hey, we need to do this. (laughs) And he's like, like I said, fiercely in one direction, but so he'll, he'll take that. Okay. Let's definitely sleep on it. 
you know, and, and let's talk over that. And, and he, he'll break it down and say, okay, so I think this is what you were thinking. And maybe this is how we'd implement it. And this might be the, the timeline that we implement that in, you know? And I'm like, okay, well, let's speed it up a little bit. Yeah. And then we go back and forth a little bit, but we balance each other really well. And, and then there's areas like creating and like finance where we're, we're polar opposites and, and we both do those tasks separately. So a lot of the other stuff we collaborate on. Uh, yeah, I think we, people ask me like, oh, how do you work with your brother? I, I could never do that. I'm like, I can work with them because we're so different. Yeah. And I think we have a pretty good sense of what our lane is and then staying in our lane. And that's not always, I think people assume like, oh, you have the business background, you're the business guy, you have the inventor mm-hmm. background, you're the inventor. It's really not quite that straightforward. That's right. Um, there are aspects of business that are in my wheelhouse. There are aspects that are in his wheelhouse. And what we had to do early on, the most important thing that we had to do, and fortunately, we had 27 years to start doing this previously, but trust each other. And so when I know something is in Squires' lane, whether it's business-related, product-related, doesn't matter. If I know that that's up his alley, what he says goes. Yeah. I trust him completely. And, uh, we, we go with that. And, and same thing. Yeah. I mean, I would say we, we have an appropriate level of pushback. Yeah. You know, like I might still ask a question on a financial decision or some numbers that he, or projections. To make that he sure ran. we thought everything yeah, through all the way. To, to whatever, punch holes but, in it. To yeah. try to punch holes in it. Cause that's what we're there to do. And he'd do the same. But yeah, at the end of the day, if it's, if it's there, then yeah, that's how we operate. That is some great advice for other founders is, you gotta, if you don't trust your co-founder, you shouldn't be co-founders for starters. Stop. Yeah, stop start there yeah. or, or stop there, not yeah. even start there, right? But, you know, when you have trust, you can be in a place where you can challenge each other. Yeah, for sure. you said too. So, I mean, that's that's a, that's a, that trust is a starting and a stopping point yes. for co-founders. Yeah. And I think that that's the advice there. And everything in between. <laughs> Abs- absolutely. All right. Coming back to our main trail, sort of closing in on the end of the ride. Just a few quick questions. Number one, what's next for Altangle? Ooh, great question. So, I mean, really what's always next is just continuing to grow in a responsible and sustainable manner. Uh, I think 2022 for us was in large part really product focused. Um, We had to do a lot of work to get the design and our margins where we wanted them to be. Mm -hmm. Um, now that we've achieved that, we are able to dedicate uh, a lot of our time and budget to marketing and uh, getting our name out there. Um, so we've been really fortunate um, that that's pretty quickly resulted in very strong demand for the products. Um, and so I think uh, over the next uh, few months, we'll, we're getting relatively close to uh, maxing out our manufacturing capacity. So that's awesome. uh, a really great problem that um, we're going to be addressing. Um, And then again, kind of coming back to this being about the customer, you know, one of our goals was always to uh, make sure our customers were forming a community. I mean, we really want to put like-minded people who enjoy this sport together, Mm -hmm. um, whether that's in Bentonville or on a virtual platform or, you know, wherever else. Um, And so, you know, kind of developing uh, that group in a place that they can interact. Um, we want to do that sooner than later. Yeah. And that, I think sometimes that can sound cliche, like sh- developing, yeah. uh, that, what did you say? Community. Yeah. Developing that community. It's a great buzzword. But right. But it, what's, 
what's neat about this niche product, um, which as we were starting, this, wow, that's really niche. I almost say it like, like too niche, but uh, is that a, it's not, it's really not that small of a group, but it's a, it's perfectly niche because the people that are into this product are really into their bikes. Sure. And they want to talk about that. I want to talk about that with them. Like I get pictures sent to me. That's like, look at this bike I just built up or here's how I used your product to service this fork or whatever. And yeah, like I nerd out about it. Like I, I want them to send it. I want to look at it and I look forward to responding to it. Sometimes it takes a little bit, a few days to get responded or whatever, but I enjoy the fact that that community very much is existing yeah. Um, because it's a bunch of people that, that and geek out about bikes. A lot of our customers, and we actually anticipated this, so we're, we're really excited to see it, but a lot of our customers have really never considered buying a bike stand. They didn't think that, like, that they were someone who would buy a bike stand. Mm-hmm. Be, for whatever reason, they were living in a space-confined environment, you know, whatever it was. And so we're kind of finding this group of people who are like almost getting into like a portion of their hobby that they didn't necessarily think yeah. was going to be for them. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so like, we want to share that excitement. We want to give them a place to communicate and like learn uh, how to use the product to its fullest, like learn new stuff about their bike. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's a fun part of all this. So cool. Hey, how can our audience help you be successful? Besides buying the products? <laughs> That's one <laughs> way. Talk about them. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, spread, spread the word. Um, we just, we like people who like bikes. And uh, so we love meeting them, talking to them. If our products are the right fit for you, fantastic. If not, no worries. Uh, you know, we'll do what we can. We'll grab a coffee, we'll grab a beer, whatever. Yeah. And on this podcast, especially for our local audience, there's probably 10 folks out, you know, for every person you talk with, 10 or 20 folks that they know that probably for could sure. use your, uh, your yeah, product, 100%. if not more, out here. Yeah. Okay. A very important question then. If somebody wants to reach you or learn more about Altangle, Alt how do they do that? Website's probably the best place to start, uh, altanglecycling.com. Um, we're available via email, info at altanglecycling.com. Um, we're on Facebook, Instagram. Um, got a little chat bot that goes straight to us. Um, we're, we're pretty accessible, honestly. Yeah. So, yeah, it's pretty easy to get in touch. Yeah, if you're, if you're talking to, to someone on the social platforms or the, or the website or an email, you're talking to Squires and I. Yeah, nice. well, so my, my name is actually John Squires Smith. So my name is John Smith. And so our info account is under John Smith. And so I'm emailing with people and it's like, if, yeah. if they know my name, which I don't know that they do or not, but they're thinking it's just John Smith. I'm like, well, it's, it's me. So if you're emailing with John Smith, that's, you've got squires. Or they're, or they're thinking you've got some cool AI tool because yeah, it's, right. it's John sure, Smith. Really. That's the other thing. It's just the Google go-to. Yeah. 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 That's great. Okay. One last question. What's something I should have asked you to that I did not ask? Uh, well, most people ask what the next products will be. What um, will the next products be? Yeah. So, uh, we've got a lot in the works. So as far as can, can talk about some of this, <laughs> I'm going to advise, there's a couple of things we're going to keep close to the chest for now. Sure. Um, but you know, there's a few things that, that will roll out pretty soon. One of the, uh, one of the things we like so much about the hanger and the hanger connect is, um, we can sell, ancillary products that that give um the current products more functionality and mm. we're, we'll be able to sell those products at a fairly low price point uh so whether it be a wall mount um something we're calling the wall mount be for permanent storage something we're calling a pro bar that would give it like a length extension and and probably more um 360 degrees rotation yeah oh nice um, so just 
Yeah. Probably do a, a carrying case and uh, uh, like a little tool sleeve. But uh, the whole point here is these are going to make um, the product and, and kind of the whole system more cost efficient for our customers. So you make the one investment in the product and then you add these like smaller items that, that fulfill other, uh, other uh, obstacles for you. And, um, and hopefully uh, it just becomes increasingly uh, useful yeah. for our customers. Yep. And then. Yeah, we'll see. We've got a, a pretty one I'm very excited about. Um, I'm hoping to roll it out probably at Sea Otter Classic this year. Um, but probably going to keep it close to the chest until then. Okay. Uh, finger, but that would be a bigger one. So for now, yeah, yeah. I'll focus on the ancillary products, things that'll add to um, the Connect. This one in some ways would as well. But yeah, the idea is to kind of build this Swiss Army knife system and and uh, keep everything very consumer facing and um, user friendly. And yeah, honestly, I mean, you asked uh, you asked how customers can help. We love hearing from from customers and, and just you know knowing hearing what yeah, they're thinking sure. and. Um, what they want, you know, what's helpful for them. Yep. So we love having those conversations. Great. Thank you, Squires. Scott, thank you all so much for coming on the show. I, I really enjoyed hearing uh, your stories and about your company and some advice that you were able to provide uh, to the to the audience. Um, but yeah, thank you all and welcome home. Yeah, likewise. Sure. We appreciate you having us. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Hey, you bet. Thanks. Hey, thanks to our Bentonville Beacon audience. Uh, as always, you know, keep coming back to this podcast to hear about Bentonville's leaders, the businesses that are sparking the rise of Bentonville and Northwest Arkansas so that you can be in this place where you get more of what you want, less of what you don't. As always, visit our website, BentonvilleEconomicDevelopment.com to see all the episodes of our podcast. And of course, hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Thanks. See you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Bentonville Beacon Podcast. We hope to see you next week. 